RDHM Finance podcast where we talk about finance, business and life in general. Our aim is to provide you with the right knowledge, the right mindset and the right path in order to achieve financial freedom and make your lives a tad bit easier. Hi guys, this is the fourth episode and I know you guys are all as excited as I am. So let's start off this episode with a positive quote by Brian Tracy. Imagine your life is perfect in every respect. What would it look like? Welcome guys. Our guest for today will be talking about debt elimination, budgeting, saving your money, ways you can use in order to get rid of debt, change in his perspective when he crossed 40 as compared to his 20s and more. So please welcome Ben from New Hampshire. Welcome Ben. How are you doing? Great, great. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to jump in and have a nice conversation about eliminating debt. Well, Ben, I've been following you for like 2 months now and I love the content that you put out on your social handles. So can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot. Um yeah, so I've uh I started working on a, a a podcast and a blog a couple of months ago. Um it's it's gotten a lot of good feedback so far, so I'm really excited to jump on your show and talk about this topic, something that's pretty important to me. Um just to give you some of my background, um I have I live in uh New Hampshire in the United States, so I'm located about an hour north of Boston. Um professionally, I've worked in higher education for about 16 years. So my background is working in college admission and um also financial aid, so helping students find funding for attending college. Uh so I right now I work for an online university. Um I have two kids. Uh my son will be 10 this summer, actually in about a month or so, and my daughter will turn 8 later this summer. Um so yeah, so I'm excited to jump in and have a good conversation with you. Definitely Ben, even I'm quite excited. Now, coming to the standard question that I usually ask every guest on my podcast, how has the lockdown been for you? Yeah, so we've been um for the last couple of months or so, uh been on kind of that lockdown quarantine um in my state and so um my job I'm I'm fortunate enough that I'm able to work from home it's something that we're already set up to do that so I've been able to um to work from home full time it hasn't impacted me professionally at all I've been very fortunate uh, a lot of people have lost jobs or had kind of negative impacts either you know health wise or also you know financially or with their jobs so um so I've been um pretty lucky with that um so yeah I've been working from home uh, my kids are uh, doing school from home so they're here with me a few days a week and they're with their mom a couple days a week and just trying to figure out the uh homeschooling situation which has been interesting um but yeah we're we're doing pretty well we've been pretty lucky um with my family no issues so um so so doing pretty good considering the circumstances Well that's a relief to her you know like educational institutions are still able to cope up with the changes that are happening in the world like online classes are going on even the graduation ceremonies are now being conducted online however there are many industries out there where employees are getting laid off a lot of salary cuts is happening in different kind of companies so it is a tough situation there is definitely a financial struggle that people are facing but no one was actually pre- prepared for it neither the government was prepared nor were the people so the only healer of this is time like people need to have a lot of patience in order to sustain and eventually everything is going to get better with the time 
Yeah, I think we're starting to get to the point where we're, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. So I think we're, we're feeling pretty good about where we're going, but still trying to be safe as much as possible. Definitely, Ben. Now, coming to the topic of finance, how did you get interested in debt elimination? Yeah, so it's it's something that actually hasn't been much of an area that I focused on um, historically in my life. And that's a big part of my story is that I didn't really focus on good financial habits through most of my adult life. Um, I'll be 43 in um, in July. And so it's not really until the last you know year or two that I've, I've started to really focus on getting myself in a better position financially. Um, you know, it kind of initially started, um, I was listening to a podcast and I heard a guy talking about um, how he got involved in, in real estate investing and that spurred him toward um, having a good financial foundation. So I actually initially was focused specifically on real estate investing for about a year or so. And it was just really difficult for me. I wasn't financially in a position to make a move on on getting an investment property. Um, and so then um, I really started to focus on, you know, what I need to do is finish paying off the re- remainder of my debt, get some money saved up so I can put that toward an investment property. And kind of on the way, um, I learned a lot about, um, you know, investing in general and how to you know budget better and the importance of paying off your debt. So uh, so really the last I would say year or so has really been a strong focus for me, and that's when I came across the whole concept of the fire movement and reaching financial independence um, and potentially retiring early. Um, you know I'm starting kind of late in that process, but I still feel like I've got enough time where I could. Um, you know, I still got. I could be working for another twenty plus years, and so I could maybe cut that time in half, if I um, if I do a good job between now and you know when I turn fifty fifty five in that range. Well, Ben, let me assure you that first of all, there's never a wrong time to do the right thing, and your story is quite inspiring. Like it's gonna help a lot of people to not commit the same mistakes. Debt trap is something that a lot of people eventually get fallen into, and they don't even recognize it. Like they keep on taking personal loans, home loans, car loans, and eventually the interest obligation becomes so piled up that they don't realize that it becomes unmanageable. And then they have to follow the course of bankruptcy sometimes, which is something that you would not like to face. So you, you sharing your story will help many people out there to not commit the same mistake. And making mistakes is not a mistake, but repeating them is. So if you could just learn from your mistakes, that's the best thing that you could do for yourself. Yeah, thank you. I, I, that's really my goal with this is, is, like you said, to try and say, hey, this is what I've gone through in life. And if, if I can help other people to make better choices earlier in their in their path, then that's great. Or if I can inspire other people that are similar to my age to, to make some changes as well. Like you said, there's no um, wrong time to make a right decision. And so this is this is an option for really anybody out there. So last night I was just filming a real estate podcast wherein I was told that 90% of the millionaires invest in real estate and it's not a get rich quick formula, but a get rich for sure formula. Yep, for sure. It's a great, it's a great path to take um, real estate to really, a really um, profitable way to go about building wealth. Exactly. Now, talking about your interest, how long have you been learning about finance and have you been applying those principles in your real life situations? Yeah. So, um, so again, I think it's really the last year or so I really focused mostly on it, but, um, some of the real life changes that I've actually tried to apply, um, I would say just in general, paying more attention to saving for retirement, 
Um, I'm fortunate enough to work for a company who has been contributing for me since I've worked there. So I get 9% of my salary um, contributed to a retirement fund every year um, without me having to do anything. And so I've kind of just relied on that to, to build up my retirement fund. So I do have some money there, but I haven't been contributing out of my own pocket in that time. So that was something that I started doing really just this year. Um, I started taking money out of my paycheck and putting it into a retirement account. And so now that's a habit that um, I think for a long time I was worried like, oh, I don't have enough money to afford putting extra money in retirement. I need to pay my bills. Um, But I've done some things to help free up cash in my budget that's now allowed me to take that extra money and put it towards my own retirement. So, So I would say that's probably... Um, you know, kind of re reevaluating my investments for retirement has been probably one of the biggest changes that I've made as I've gained more knowledge in the last year or so. Absolutely, because what people are doing is they spend a lot of their money on different kind of expenses, and then whatever is left, they try to invest the, that in some kind of investment avenue. But I think the right approach is to first of all set aside a percentage of your income in some kind of an investment avenue which can be used in your future and then the remaining amount can be used to fund your lifestyle and that way you can also learn to live under your means for a certain amount of time and that's going to help you a lot in building a sustainable wealth for yourself yep i think it's that whole concept of pay yourself first and that's something that i never i never even heard or or didn't make sense to me um early on but that's something that's really started to sink in for, for myself in the last you know year or two Definitely. Now, Fire After 40 is quite an intriguing name, and I definitely want to know what was the inspiration behind building up of your podcast and the blog as well. Like, where did you get the inspiration from? Yeah, so it's it's one of these things that I've always in the back of my head, or for a long time at least, thought about getting involved with doing a blog or or doing a podcast, something along those lines, but I just never really took the plunge. It was something that it was you know, it would take time and it would be, you know, I was a little nervous to jump in and do it. Um, but I think once I started doing it, um, once I had some, and actually it's one of the silver linings of going through this quarantine and working from home is I've just had, I, I'm not commuting. I, I've got more time in my day to do other stuff. And so I was like, I need to spend my time doing something productive. And so I think I had read uh, a blog post. It might have been on Mr. Money Mustache, where it was talking about how to start your own blog. And so th- I was like, I should just start doing this. And so I just jumped on and I, I went on WordPress and I, you know, I set it all up. And as soon as I started doing it and writing, it just kind of opened all up for me. Um, it's something that I have some roots in going back to college. Uh, I'm a communication major, or I was a communication major in college. And so I was really involved in writing for the school paper. Um, I was involved with the college radio station, so it's, it was kind of natural for me to move back into that um, part of um, you know that that industry, I guess. Um, so it was something that I had some background in. I had some free time, and I had a story to tell. I think just I've gone through a lot over the last couple of years, going through a divorce and kind of reevaluating a lot of my finances and really climbing out of debt. There were a lot of things that I just needed to get out of my head. Um, I feel like I spent a lot of time just thinking and thinking and thinking about things. And, and that's fine to plan and to think and process. But at some point, I needed to get that somewhere else. And so I kind of struggled with I thought about journaling maybe, and I just couldn't kind of, you know, stick with that. I'm, I'm somebody who's a little bit more externally motivated. So I figured if I start putting it out there in public, um, 
and there's people that might respond to it, then that's going to motivate me to really stick with it. So that's that's kind of how this started. And then five after 40, it's just, you know, I'm starting this this journey to, to financial independence after after the age of 40. And, um, and like we said earlier, I feel really good about that. But it's a little bit different, I think, because a lot of people that are involved in the FIRE movement tend to be starting in their 20s or even their 30s. Um, so less, I think there's fewer people that are in this niche that are doing this kind of starting in the 40s or 50s. So I felt like it was a kind of a, a unique spot for me to be in. Well, I agree to the fact that the FIRE movement wherein people try to gain financial independence and then retire early, like a lot of people start doing the required things in their 20s and 30s. But I think that you can act as an inspiration for all the people out there who have crossed their 40s and you can show them that still there is a lot of time and still you have the ability to achieve financial independence. And you can like literally you having a communication major, you can convey this story through your blogs and podcasts. And I think it's going to help a lot of people out there. That's that's really um, that's great to hear. I appreciate it. Um, I think I'm trying to be genuine and, and vulnerable. I think like we said earlier, it's it's not about just saying hey, I've already reached this plateau, I've already reached this goal. So, you know, follow my five steps that I took to get here. It's more of like, I'm on this path right now. I'm, I'm just, you know, um, working my way through it. So there might have been some hesitation, I think, early on for me saying I don't have an authoritative voice to, to, to do this. But it's not, I think it's not about that. I think everyone in this kind of a in their lives, uh, when it comes to finances, they're at different points, and there's no right way to do it. It's just about taking action and, and positive thinking and, and getting momentum. And really, anybody has the opportunity to speak about that, regardless of where they are in that path. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate um, I appreciate the support and encouragement from you. Well, definitely, Ben. Now, since we are talking about debt elimination, so have you yourself ever fallen into the debt trap for maybe a house loan or a car loan? And if yes, then were you able to recover through it? Yeah, I think I, you know, I think I kind of jumped into that area where um, I, I graduated college and I just followed that that American dream kind of path where I wanted to get a job and get married and buy a house and have kids and get a car and, and just do all those things that that you're supposed to do. I'm kind of a rule follower. I'm somebody who, who goes along with what I think is I'm supposed to be doing. And um, there, I think that doing that, buying a home, I think I jumped into that before I could really afford it. And I ended up putting a lot of stuff on credit cards, a lot of home improvement type stuff, you know, buying new appliances for the kitchen and getting a new carpet and painting everything. And um, it, it just started to add up over time. And that was a habit I think I got into early on. Uh, and, and then once you start putting money on credit cards, you've got to make those payments. And then when you want to go on a vacation, you don't have cash to do it. So you put that on a card too. And it's it starts to really accumulate over time, uh, you know, I would buy new cars when it was time for a car. I, I had a, a car that died, and I instead of getting a used one, I, I bought a brand new car, and um, just those kinds of things. And so I really got up to the point, I think when I went back and did the math, I was around $46,000 in debt um, towards the end of last summer, towards around August. And um, and I was able to, um, after we had, I, I got divorced last spring, and then after that, we put the house in the market, and we ended up selling the house, and that gave us enough money for each of us to pay off some of our debts. And I was able to pay off a good chunk of my 46000 probably at least half of it, if not a little bit more than that. Um, and then since then, I've just been chipping away at it. So I'm down to, you know, I still have 
probably 2000 2500 on a credit card as my last card, and I should pay that off in the next couple of months at the, at the latest. And I've got my car that I'm still paying off, and that's probably around 7000 So, you know, I've still got just under 10000 in debt, but I've got a plan in place, and I've made a lot of progress with that. And, and I'm not accumulating more, which I think is the really critical part, is to stop um, sinking or just treading water and start making progress, which is what I've done. Wow, Win, like that's really impressive. Like selling a house is a big decision to make and you having taken such a decision and then using that money to pay off some amount of your debt and like that re literally reduces the interest obligations that you have and it eventually makes it more manageable and simultaneously it also brings some amount of peace and calmness to the mind as well because you have that sort of a feeling that okay, I can manage this from the current income that I have. Yep, I'm feeling good about it. Well, Ben, I have heard from a lot of people that everyone should be pre-planning their expenses. So do you think that budgeting has anything to do with building a sustainable wealth for yourselves? Yeah, budgeting, I think, is important for a couple of reasons. Um, I think one is that it obviously if you're able to to spend less because you're you're sticking to a budget, that's going to free up cash to do other things with, whether that's you know, paying off debt, investing it, saving it, whatever you're doing, um, having a budget helps to keep you in that place where you've p potentially got some extra money to work with. But I think probably more importantly is it's just a mindset shift. And so living within your means, it's so easy to not do that. It's so easy to use credit to get whatever you want in real time. There's that we're in this kind of place where there's the instant gratification. You know, um, I can order something from Amazon and it shows up the next day. Uh, I think now you can even get same day delivery in some situations. And that's just crazy. Like that didn't that didn't even exist when I was a kid. It was like you had to wait, you know, five weeks for something to show up if you ordered it. So we're just in this place now where everybody can spend so quickly, get things so quickly. Uh, that I think having a budget and limiting, putting some guardrails around what you're buying just gets you in a mindset where you're not stepping out of your means. Um, I'm somebody who, I'm not a frugal person. I know if you look within the FIRE community, frugality is a big topic. There's a lot of people that are very frugal. And I'm just naturally not somebody who's frugal. I'm not somebody who who likes to really like reuse everything a million times and save every last penny. It's something that I don't naturally do. But I have made some progress toward that area because I see a lot of value in in some kind of middle ground with that. So like one quick example is um, I've always struggled with my grocery bill. I just go and I buy whatever I need. And, and you know, sometimes it's $50, sometimes it's $100. I'm not really paying close attention to it. As long as I've got money in my checking account, I can go buy stuff. Uh, so that's kind of how I used to approach it. And now I have every paycheck, I have um, $200 for my paycheck that goes into a separate um, checking account. And I use that card specifically just for groceries and gas. So I know I've got roughly $400 a month that I can use for groceries and gas. And if I'm down to $25 on that account, then that means when I go to the grocery store, I'm only buying $25 worth of stuff. Uh, and so that's really helped me to keep to go from spending six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month on on groceries to now I've been in, you know, three to four hundred per month range. And that's just an example of how I've been able to make some changes. Well, I totally agree with you. Like people are making frivolous purchases and they're not even aware about it. And I think it's not even their fault. Like these big giant companies, they're spending so much money on marketing that people get so much attached to the product. They think that the product is so cool. I need to have it firsthand. So I think they 
are not even realizing that they are getting caught up in that cycle like see those people out there who have like gathered outside like phone mobile shops and they ju are just waiting for the newest model to get released and they want to buy it first hand like people are not even thinking that did you even need that so the point i'm trying to make is that pre-planning your expenses can help you avoid such spending habits and you can save more money from the same amount of income yeah for sure i think you're that's a, a really good point you made about advertising it's and that is a different thing these days than it was you know even 15 20 years ago you know it used to be your advertising would come on television or maybe on the radio or in a newspaper and now you've got it on your phone and and people are glued to their phones all day and everywhere you're going every website if you're on facebook if you're on instagram if you're anywhere you're going to see ads and so you kind of constantly have that consumer um, push happening at all times. And so it is, it's a hard, it becomes a harder, um, is you really have to focus on your willpower when it comes to that and make sure that you're just getting the stuff that you need. And yeah, it's fine every so often to, to get something that might be more of a splurge or more of an optional, um, purchase, but that can't be the regular rhythm of your finances. That is so true. Now, since we are talking about budgeting, what does a typical budget consist of and how can a person go about making a budget for himself or herself? I mean, I think it's it's gotten so easy now, actually, with just free apps that you can get. I mean, you can use personal capital, you can use Mint, you can download it. There's, there's all these these things that you can have access to where it does, it shows you your spending for you. You don't have to keep paper receipts and then add them all up and then you know, balance your checkbook every month. It's it's all done for you. So it it's it's you don't necessarily need a, a degree or any kind of real background to do that. It's just a matter of looking at your core expenses and then deciding which of these ones um, do I have uh, the ability to to adjust or choose. And the majority of your costs, you do have options with those. I mean, if it's your housing expense is a huge one, um, you know, you can choose to. Uh, to, to rent if you're if you have a big mortgage you can make changes that's a hard one but I mean you do have the ability to change that there uh, I think the easier ones are talking about your food budget that's one that probably most people right now being on this in this quarantine have have seen that they uh, I'm guessing most people are spending less on food I definitely am I'm not going out to eat um, so you start to see hey I can I'll, I'll, I can survive on a, on a pretty modest food budget um, so I think, uh, just having some some access to maybe like an, an app to keep track of your account makes it so easy now that you don't really need much more be besides that. Like you said, a majority of people do not keep a track of their food expenses. And I can assure you that during this lockdown, a lot of people might have understood the importance of money. All those people who might be ordering online or using takeaways as a source of food. So they might have now understood that the junk food that they used to eat was not only robbing them of their health, but also their bank accounts. So I think that's a learning that we all should take. Right now, we all are cooking our foods at home, like the majority of us are cooking at home. And I think that has taught us that the expenses we were incurring were actually not needed. Yeah, for sure. I think food is is just such an obvious one, and you know, I've gotten to the point now where I've I've and I enjoy cooking. I've taught myself to cook over the years, and I'll go out to eat sometimes, and it's like I'm not going to order 
a steak at a restaurant because I can cook that at my place just as easily and it'll be just as good. You know, so if I'm going to go out to eat, it has to be something that I'm not going to make myself. You know, it's going to be sushi or something that like I, I'm not going to do sushi at home. So um, so just kind of basic stuff. It's just not worth it for me to go out and spend money on on pizza or on just kind of whatever garbage you might get at kind of fast food. You know, like you said, it's it's expensive. It adds up and it also just isn't good for you. Definitely. Now, a majority of people are now starting to join debt-free communities wherein they try to get rid of the debt they have. So the question is that what factors you must consider before trying to get out of debt? I think I think you need to prioritize things. I think looking at, um, you know, what are the interest rates on certain debts that you have? That's the thing you really need to be aware of. For a long time, I didn't really pay attention. I just knew I had a high interest rate on all my credit cards, and I didn't really think much about it. Um, but I think it's it's consider how much um, how much you have in those different uh, accounts. Um, and I think you know I, I'm personally somebody who thinks that debt should be your number one priority. I've gotten to this this mentally. I've gotten to this place now where. I'm more of pay off your debt before worrying about like getting a big emergency fund or doing some of these other things. Um, I just feel like debt is such a weight and it just holds you back from so many things that um, really whatever you do, as long as you take some action, I think that's the most important thing. Now, I'd like to further add on to this that most of the people have certain expenses already tied to them and they are even aware of it. So like if you have children, then you are definitely knowing that you need to pay a certain amount of money for their education in the future. And then there is never a surety of your health. So you need to have some amount of emergency fund with you. So that can be used in case any emergency arises. So once you have accumulated funds for like these expenses, which you are pre aware about. So like the education, the health, any kind of hazard that happens, which you are not prepared for. Like this Corona is a very good example, you know, like no one was mentally prepared for it. So what I'm trying to say is that once you have accumulated money for all these kind of expenses so then you can start paying off your debts yeah that's uh, that's actually uh, i think a good way of looking at it um in thinking back i'm somebody who who i think i look at my budget or in the past at least really month to month and I, so i'm focused on what are my monthly bills but every month there's something that comes up that i should have planned for it's like i know at some point i'm going to have to take my car in for service or i know i'm going to have to you know, do um, summer camp for my kids, or I know that there's going to be this other expense coming up and you can plan all those ahead of time. And if you know, hey, I've got these three or four things coming up in the next few months, I should set aside that money now to make sure it's available. So I'm not scrambling, you know, when that occurs. Uh, you're right. That's that's probably just as important as just having your regular month month budget put together as well. Exactly. Now, is there a systematic way which exists, which can be used by people so as to pay off their debts? Uh, yeah, and I think there's. I think you can probably look. There's. I'm sure there's a bunch of different, real specific, tactical ways to go about it. But in my perspective, I just try to keep it simple. And you know, cutting your expenses is first and foremost. Free up that cash as as much as you can, um, and then focus on paying down your debt. Uh, if you can get in the habit of of putting down larger payments, more than those minimum payments, um, to to get that taken care of, and then looking for ways to generate additional income and not just settling for what you currently have for income, but being a little bit more creative, uh, that's that's the way you can accelerate that process. So I try to keep it kind of simple with just cut your expenses, um, 
you know, increase your debt pay down and, and see if you can find additional income. And that I think is, is a recipe for, uh, for success when it comes to, to paying down your debt. Definitely. I think saving up small amounts of money can make a significant impact. Like even if you save $100 a month, at the end of the month, you are sitting with $1,200, which can be used either to pay off the interest obligation or if it exceeds it, then it can also help you to pay off the principal amount. So that's going to reduce your debt. So definitely even the small gestures that you do, it's going to help you in some or the other way. Yep, totally agree. And which investment avenues do you think are good enough so as to keep your risk low and eventually get good returns out of them as well? So I think that the risk part is something that is really going to vary from person to person. And I think traditionally, the approach has been to be more aggressive when you're younger and um, less aggressive as you get closer to traditional retirement. So I think the risk tolerance is going to be from person to person. I think for me personally, I am I'm feeling like I need to make some make up for some lost time. So I've been more aggressive with my um, investment approach. Uh, more recently. And so I'm really focused on index funds. That's something I've read a lot about. Um, Simple Path to Wealth is a book by J.L. Collins that I've, I've recently listened to um, on audiobook. And that really resonated for me, looking at index funds. So you're spreading your investments out over the entire stock market, basically, rather than buying individual stocks. Um, but within that, I, I do have some split between equities and bonds. I think the way you're supposed to handle it is, uh, you know, you have fewer bonds as you're younger, and that percentage increases as you get older. So one rule of thumb is whatever your age is, that's the percentage of your portfolio that should be in bonds. So based on that theory, I would have, you know, a little over 40% of my, my portfolio as bonds. Right now, it's probably closer to eight to 9% bonds. So I'm, I'm very heavy on the equity side. But I'm also trying to make up, so I'm being a little bit more aggressive right now. Um, but again, if you are somebody who already has a pretty good foundation, you're probably going to have more of a mix of those bonds that, that are less kind of like lower ceiling, but also a higher floor when it comes to investment returns. Definitely. Now, the bonds carry a lower risk than equities and therefore have a lower return as well. But the thing is that if you go into equities, equities are so volatile that one year you might be having a 20% gain and the other year you have a 20% loss. So you are never sure about it because you can never time the market in equities. In bonds, however, the case is that if it promises a 7% return, it can hover plus or minus 1% or 2%. However, it cannot be like plus 14% if it promises 9% and then minus 10%. No, that can't happen. So the thing is that if you are investing in equities with the purpose that, okay, I'm going to accumulate this much amount of money and using that money in the 10th year to pay off my child's education or maybe to buy a home or to buy a car. But the thing is that you need to realize that you can never be sure about it because on the that on that very 10th year, the stock market might crash and your plans, they go into vain because then you would eventually have to withdraw in losses. So that's not something you would love to do. So I think the better approach would be you can actually like if you have a 10 year goal, then for that you can actually invest for eight years in equities. That way you have a runway of eight years for equities and then 
टू ईयर्स यू कैन विदड्रॉ दैट मनी एंड कीप इट इन डेट एंड डेट इज़ नॉट दैट वोलिटाइल सो यू एक्चुअली गेट द बेनिफिट ऑफ इक्विटीज एंड देन यू हैव द गारंटी ऑफ हैविंग योर मनी वेन यू नीड इट बिकॉज इवन इफ इन द एट्थ ईयर वेन यू आर विदड्रॉइंग फ्रॉम इक्विटीज इवन इफ द मार्केट इज डाउन इन दैट वेरी ईयर देन एटलीस्ट यू हैव अ टू ईयर रन वे वेर इन द इक्विटीज कैन रिकवर सो दैट इज द बेस्ट मेथड दैट यू कैन टेक एंड आई थिंक दिस अप्रोच वर्क क्वाइट वेल फॉर अ लॉट ऑफ पीपल yeah and in you know in addition i think to to the stock investments um you know real estate investing i think is another like we've talked about that a little bit but that's another area that really helps to balance out your portfolio i think there's some people that are in the school of kind of all real estate or all stocks and i think that you know with like as is the case with many things having a balance is actually probably the best approach um so yeah i think it's really it's having some money invested in stocks it's having some money invested in real estate and it's having some cash in savings so you've got really i think that that hedges against like you're saying different emergencies and i think this pandemic is a perfect example nobody saw this coming and um other things like this will happen in the future so i think having a backup plan by diversifying a bit is really the safest bet for people definitely i agree with you a lot of people get pressured by the society that once they reach some certain age then they need to buy a home then eventually a few years down the line when they get kids then they need to buy a new car for themselves it needs to be bigger then they need to have the latest gadgets at their house because what would people say if they don't have the latest iphone so these are certain psychologies that people develop and they end up spending more amount of money than they could and eventually a lot of their income gets exposed to payment of interest obligations and the principal amount on these So my question to you is how a person starts getting into this debt trap and how can a person identify it Yeah that's that's something that I feel like I've been in that situation in the past where you're just kind of sinking gradually over time and you almost it almost happens slowly enough that you don't even recognize it and then it gets to a point where you just don't have enough money to even make minimum payments and so you might need to go borrow a personal loan to pay off your other debt and when you're borrowing to pay off debt that's a, a terrible formula that's something that really um compounds in the in the wrong direction uh so i think that's that's a trap that people have fallen into i've been in a similar situation um getting out of that is is tough but i think it's really it's it's just focusing on what's what's your priority in life i think everybody can find places to cut back expenses um like i said maybe find other ways to get money more income and um just getting yourself mentally out of the situation where you're you're um okay with or you're indifferent about having your debt accumulate in the wrong direction over time yes and i was also listening to a podcast by dave ramsey so dave ramsey is a very big public public figure in the domain of finance and in one of his videos i noticed that a man with 230000 worth of income called him up and he said that he was fell into the debt trap like he had taken a loan worth uh, 1 million dollars and if you just if i have to bifurcate it around 100000 dollars was for a car then 3 lakh dollars were education loans 3 lakh dollars was the house loan and the remaining was a personal loan so what do we get to know from this is that even the rich people get into this psychology of taking loan for each and everything and they end up getting into the debt trap right now what dev ramses said to him was very shocking he told that you need to keep your calm because you might fall into the bankruptcy phase and that would be very miserable now the only solution to it 
that he gave was you will have to start living 10x below your means so suppose you were earning 230000 then you will have to live for with $23000 for next 3 years otherwise you will fall into the bankruptcy phase so this was very very disheartening for the individual who had called but definitely he was very blunt with it yeah it's pretty scary and mind you like dev ramse himself fell into the same phase like he also fell into the debt trap he got out of it as well right now he's sitting at a very good net worth and he also has a very successful show and he's also an author and i think the best selling author in terms of finance personal finance books if you talk about so definitely it's a very good thing that people are sharing their experiences and like helping people out there to not commit the same mistakes like he's spreading financial literacy which is a very good thing and now coming to the next question what are the common financial mistakes that people occur when they're trying to get out of debt i think it's a lack of consistency I, you know a lot of times it's it's maybe similar to to people who are trying to get in in shape physically you know you might go to the gym for a week or a month and then you kind of get out of the habit and you get back into to bad habits it's similar with finances you know you um you kind of start focusing i'm going to pay down this debt i'm going to pay off this credit card and you start but then it something else comes up and you you put money back on the credit card so you're kind of like two steps forward two steps back so um it's i think it goes back to what you were just talking about with Gordon Ramsay's advice is you really need to make some some pretty dramatic changes to get out of that situation because it's not just um the act of actually clearing out your debt it's changing your mindset so it it also makes me think of I, i don't know if you've ever seen some of the shows about people who are hoarders and they have all this stuff in their house and it's all this accumulated possessions and garbage and stuff that just over the years has built up and it's mentally they're just they don't want to get rid of anything and you can go in there and clear it all out if you want but then it ends up just kind of refilling back in quickly over the next few months because mentally they haven't gotten to a place where they can let go of those things. So I think, you know, with debt pay down is it's as much making those actual steps to pay off your debt as it is getting yourself in a mindset and a in a lifestyle perspective so that you can stay out of debt once you pay that off. Exactly when like mindset plays a big role in it. Now, coming to the next question, what is the snowball method of repayment that people are using in order to get rid of their debt yeah there's a couple of ways um and you might have heard dave ramsey somebody who talks about some of these methods and there's different opinions about what makes the most sense so the snowball method is you start let's say you have like three or four different credit cards you pay off the smallest debt first um uh, because if you've got a credit card with say $500 on it you pay that one off first and then you move over to the one that's got $1000 and then you start working on that one and then you move on to the one that's got $5000 because mentally you start to gain momentum you feel like you're making progress um so there's also the avalanche method which is similar but that is more focusing on specifically targeting the cards that have the highest interest rate So mathematically it makes sense to go, you know, one card you might have $5,000 on it and that's got the highest interest rate, so you're better off chipping away at that one first and save the $500 card because maybe that's got a lower interest rate and you can get to that later. Um so it's this kind of give and take where you know, you can either focus on those quick wins to get those smaller ones taken care of or focus on the higher interest rate, but I think really either way that if you're if you're making payments, um it's good either way. So neither one of those is a bad method, but 
Uh, I think that the preference for a lot of people is like you might like Dave Ramsey, I think uh, he talks about the snowball method is really the best way to do it because it helps with that behavior change as much as anything else. Absolutely. No, I think that the avalanche method is a bit better than the snowball method because when you're paying off high interest rate debt obligations, then you're saving upon the interest cost. And that amount of money can actually be used to pay off the principal amounts of the low interest rate debts. But then the snowball method of repayment, it actually brings a peace of mind and like it gives you a momentum, like you said, and it like you pay off one debt at a time in that. So definitely, if you have to go by the mathematical and financial aspect of it, you should be going with the avalanche method. But if you want to go with the momentum and you think that one debt at a time is going to boost your confidence, then I think you should go with the snowball method. Yep. Yep. It's, it is. It's you're going to pay your debt off faster. You're going to pay less interest with that method. But again, snowball method is something that might make sense for certain people just mentally to, to feel like they're making that progress. So I guess, you know, either way, whatever makes the most sense, as long as you're doing something to work on it. Of course. And what impact do you think repayment of debt or eliminating debt have on your credit rating? And do you think that it increases your potential debt taking capacity in the future? So there, yeah, there's a few different things that go into your um, your credit rating when it comes to having debt. Um, so like credit utilization, for example, is a pretty high impact area. And that's basically... Um, let's say your um, your max on all your credit cards is ten thousand uh, dollars. If you've if you've got seven thousand in balances, then you're at a seventy percent credit utilization. So that's pretty high. Um, if you you know you're usually targeting to stay under under thirty at the most under thirty percent, but ideally you want to be under ten percent for credit utilization, and that's that's one of the biggest things. That's how I've seen my credit really go up over time is that I've paid off those cards, and my credit utilization is down to like seven six or seven percent now which is is much better than it used to be so i've really seen my credit go up as a result uh, the other areas that you'll see are pretty impactful um, your payment history just obviously making payments on time and then if you get any derogatory marks on your your credit and those are usually you know you really haven't paid something for a long time you might have been sent to collections or there's a foreclosure or something kind of serious um, those marks can actually last in your credit for for years i think the range is like up to seven to ten years so those ones are, are pretty hard to get rid of um, but those three areas are three of the biggest impacts so so paying off things um, paying them on time are really the biggest ways to increase your credit um, but even outside of just your credit score there's also like debt to income is a is a a ratio that a lot of people look at when applying for mortgages. So again, paying your debt down is going to make it easier for you if you at some point do want to go either purchase uh, an investment property or purchase a primary residence. Qualifying for mortgages, your debt to income ratio is a pretty big um, factor in that as well. So there's a couple of different benefits to getting your 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 debt um, under control when it comes to credit rating and that kind of thing. Um, I've been using so I'll I, I use like Credit Karma and Mint are two apps that you can use that just give you free credit ratings and you can just check those at any point. So I think it used to be something where people never really knew what their credit score was and now it's super easy to keep track of that. So um, so like for me personally, my credit was down um, it was around six twenty eight. Uh, in August of last summer, right before the house was sold. And then once the house was sold and paid off a bunch of the debt, 
Um, between then and now, my credit's gone up to 819. So this is the highest for me it's ever been. I've never had a credit score over 800 before. So that's you know one of the benefits. Again, my debt is down way lower than it ever has been before, and I've seen I've seen that impact on my credit score. Well, I have to say that 800 score is quite impressive. Now, coming to the mortgage aspect, I think usually when people take a loan, the maximum amount of loan they usually take for a house loan, and then they have remaining smaller loans, which can be a car loan, an education loan, a personal loan, etc. So banks usually use a formula, which is the 2836 rule. Under this, 28% of your monthly gross income, it can be used towards payment of your house mortgage, and then the remaining 36 minus 28, that is the 8%. The 8% can be used towards payment of other loans, which can be anything, just like I had said earlier, like the car loan or an education loan. So the main pointer that I'm trying to say here is that if you want to know whether you will be getting a loan or that the loan will get sanctioned or not, then you can just check whether you have already exhausted 28% of your monthly gross income towards payment of these loans. If not, then definitely you will be able to get a loan from a bank. And yeah, therefore there is a debt to income ratio which is being followed out there. Yeah, and it's really anything that you have that shows up on your credit report goes towards that. So it could be credit cards, it could be car payment, like you said, it could be a personal loan. Um, and there's even other things that go towards that, like if you've got child support. Um, so there's a few different areas that go towards calculating a debt to income. Uh, that it looks at like the minimum payments basically on all those different things and adds those up and then divides it by your um, your gross salary. So yeah, those are those are calculations that uh, it's actually something that anyone could really sit down and figure out on their own. I think that you should have that knowledge before you go into applying for a mortgage, figure out your debt to income going into that just so you've got an idea of what you might be eligible for. Exactly. And would you suggest buying a house on a mortgage, whether it is the best option or you should first of all save money, accumulate some amount of money and pay in lump sum for the house? This is a tricky one. Yeah, you probably could could argue it either way. I personally am somebody who thinks that borrowing to pay for a, um, for a property is a good opportunity to, to leverage debt, um, especially if it's an investment property. Uh, if you're buying real estate um, to invest in, to buy like a multifamily, for example, you want to put down as little as possible because what you ultimately want to do is have your tenants pay your mortgage for you. So the less you can put in on the front end, the better, because that's going to increase your return. Um, if you're buying a primary residence for yourself, um, I still feel like the amount of time it would take to save up to to buy a primary residence in cash would just take forever. Um, and you know the, the real estate market here in the US is crazy. Um, I think where I live, um, you know, a starter home is going to cost you over 300,000 US dollars um, just for like a regular three bedroom, one and a half bath home. So to, in order to save up $300,000 is just going to take an incredible amount of time for any, any couple or even an individual. And you're better off, I think, taking that money that you might have been saving and, and investing it somewhere where you're getting returns over that long period of time it would take. Um, I think you're better suited investing that money and using a mortgage um, and putting down 20% or 10%. Um, and that way you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get your primary residence. Um, interest rates are super low right now. Um, and But you still get that money to save or invest on the side. So that's, I think that's the best combination that I would recommend for people. 
Absolutely. And I think the best way that you could analyze whether you should be taking a house mortgage or not is by seeing how much is the interest obligation on that very loan. So suppose you have a property and then you are getting around 4% of rental yield and you are getting around 6% increment in the value of the property that is the capital appreciation. So in total, when you add up the rental yield and the capital appreciation, you are getting a 10% return. And now you go to a bank for getting a mortgage and you see that there is only a 7% interest rate. So in that case, you will observe that in that case, you gain 3%. So in any way, I think if you are able to make more returns from your property than your cost, which is the interest obligation, then I think you should go with the mortgage. And if not, if the interest rate is higher than the return, that is the rental and the capital appreciation put together, they are actually lower than the interest obligation, then definitely you shouldn't be going. You will actually end up paying much more higher than the cost of the house. And yeah, if I have to talk about the safety, I think house mortgage is much more safer than any other kind of loan because ultimately you can sell a house and repay your loan. But what if I talk about education loan? You can't sell an education loan. What if I talk about a car loan? A car is going to depreciate, so it's going to lose its value. So you won't be able to fetch the same amount of money which you require to repay your loan. So definitely if I have to talk about safety aspect as well, I think house mortgage is much safer than other types. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that you could probably do a whole well, you could definitely do a whole podcast on that. There's entire podcasts that are just dedicated to real estate investing. And you're right. It's, um, you know, where I am right now, interest rates on on um, on mortgages are like, three and a half percent. So they're really they're the lowest that they've been in forever. So yeah, you're definitely going to make more. Um, investing and, and watching those returns or, or having rental income, then you then you're paying in interest on your mortgage. So yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a matter of looking at the market and maybe deciding based on where you're living, what what the market looks like, that can help you decide what makes the most sense. That is so true. Now, is it okay to live without a credit card and under your means as well? I mean, I think that it's 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 all about having self-awareness and good habits. So I don't think that credit cards are inherently a bad thing. I think that they're, they do serve a purpose. Um, especially now you can, you, there's a lot of, um, you know, you can look up articles on travel hacking and using rewards for different cards to basically pay for trips and, and, you know, without having to put anything out of your own pocket. So there's a lot of advantages to having credit cards. They also help you to establish good credit. So when you do go to apply for a, a home mortgage, that kind of thing, you've, you've got a credit history. So I don't think credit cards are, are bad to have, but I do think it's too easy to get them right now, especially when you're young. It's it's tough. You can get them pretty young. And if you get in the habit of using them to cover your expenses, that's where it comes back to bite you. So it's really something where I think there's a benefit to having credit cards around, but um, they wouldn't exist if the credit card companies weren't making money. So I think people haven't, you know, had the best behavior as a society in general with these credit cards. And that's why that they're they're so easy to get now. Yeah, I totally agree. Like credit cards have become so much more accessible than before. But what I notice is that many people argue that I get a lot of points from these. I get to travel because I get travel vouchers out of this. I get restaurant vouchers. I get to stay in hotels. So the main point I'm trying to say here is that if you are like spending more and more just for the sake of getting these points and travel vouchers, then that's not the right thing. The way you should be using your credit card is that you're spending on only those things which you would have spent on even without a credit card. So that way you're not overspending 
and you will also be able to get the benefits that you usually get from credit cards on the amount that you wanted to spend. Because otherwise, you will just be making frivolous purchases and losing out your money on things that you might not even need. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's exactly what you just said. If, as long as you're not using it for additional things, there's no problem. If you're going to spend the money anyway, there's no real harm in doing it. Um, but yeah, it's that's not usually what ends up happening for people. They usually go out and buy other things. Exactly. Now, when you have crossed 40 years and you have so much more experience than many of the lads that are listening to this podcast. So how has perspective towards life changed when you were in your 20s and now? Yeah, it's funny that it's a funny question because I just I actually just put up a blog post, the first part of it, at least earlier, I think this week, um, where I was talking about giving advice to my 21 year old self. So I, I graduated college 21 years ago this week. And so I was reflecting on what would I go back and, and tell myself, um, you know, to kind of prepare myself for adulthood. And, and I, a lot of the stuff, there's some obvious things, um, you know, save more money, start investing, uh, learn about real estate. So there's some of those kind of financial things that I would definitely go back and tell myself. But I also, um, I just feel like I could, I could afford to have more confidence and set higher goals for myself. I think at, at you know, around 2021, when I was coming out of college, I think I had very modest expectations for myself financially. I, I wasn't much of a goal setter. And I think that's something I wish, knowing where I ended up, I wish I could go back and tell myself, hey, if you put in, if you learn the right things, and if you take advantage of the right opportunities, you can be in a really good spot in 15, 20, 30 years. Um, but I just, I think I was just more kind of letting life happen to me when I was that age. And that, that lasted really up through my thirties. And until recently I was letting life happen to me. I wasn't being super intentional, uh, about choices I was making. So I think that's the the primary advice I'd try to get across to myself. If I could go back and, and talk to early twenties, me. Wow. Like that was really insightful Ben. thanks for that. I think financial literacy is of utmost importance and it can really make a drastic change in your life if you seriously take care of it. And having a vision in your 20s gives you enough time to leap forward and work towards it. Now, since we are talking about early age, what importance would you give to saving for your goals as early as your 20s? I I think it's just starting small. You know, you don't have to necessarily set aside a, a ton of money when you're young. I, I think I was doing a calculation. I pulled up some calculator online. So the numbers might be off a little bit, but I, I put in like, if I started putting in $5,000 a year into an investment into the stock market in 1999, when I graduated college, what would that look like now? Just $5,000 a year. And it would be up over 230,000 by now. Um, and so that would be a really nice chunk of change to be sitting on, you know, going into my, you know, mid forties. Um, but and it's not that much to really put us 5,000 a year is not that much. So I mean, 10,000, you're going to double that um, 15,000 even more. So um, it's the math is something that you could probably show somebody in the early 20s. And for some people that's going to resonate, some people that are more financially geared are going to see those numbers and say, I really want to do this, I can see the the long term benefit of it. Other people might, you know, you're not forward thinking when you're 20, not everyone is at least. So um, I think really, it's it's about establishing good habits, because, you know, so much of what you're doing when you first get into your career, when you first leave that that age of going to a traditional college and getting into your 20s and starting to be on your own for maybe the first time, a lot of those habits 
set up the the next 15, 20 years. And so I think it's most important to get those good habits and like some of the stuff you just mentioned before, we were talking about saving and investing and those kinds of things. Um, just kind of getting that muscle memory started in early age will do wonders for you uh, moving forward in your in your life. Definitely, because even the small amounts matter a lot. If you really want to see what's the magnitude of difference that you can make in your retirement, I think just take out any SIP calculator out there and just enter $200 a month for 40 years at a 10% interest rate. So 10% is something which is quite easily achievable. Even if you see the CAGR of any of the top index funds, you would be able to achieve it. So you will see that you are sitting on more than a million dollars in your investment account. And all thanks to the compounding effect that works its magic in the years that the money is invested. Yeah, definitely. It starts to spike up as you get much further along in that process. So then that's the, the downside for me starting late is I don't have as much runway to get it up there and, and kind of get, get to that that real hockey stick kind of curve. Um, but uh, it's still it's still worth it for me at this point, anyone that's starting late. But yeah, I would I would love to go back and, and uh, throw some money in, into some investments in my 20s. I think I would um, it would definitely benefit me at this point. Yes. And what additional tips would you like to give to our audience in order to not make the same mistakes that everyone does when they are young? I think it comes down to avoiding lifestyle creep. That's kind of an obvious one, but it's something that is just so hard because you don't even see it happening. You know, you're probably going to make a little bit more money each year. You get you know, cost of living increases and raises, and then you just spend that on, on more stuff. And uh, if you can establish uh, a, a kind of a modest baseline of expenses. And then every time you get an increase in your salary over the years is you just take that extra money and put it in savings, whether you're investing it, saving it, whatever you're doing, uh, that would be probably the biggest piece of advice I could give to, to people that are early in their careers. Um, I would say, you know, I like the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a book that everyone talks about. It's one of those first books that people jump into. And I think one of the reasons that's such a great book is because it's very simple. It's an easy message to understand. It's a story. It's not super tactical with a lot of instructions on, you know, 10 steps to achieve this and that. It's, it's just more of a mindset change. And that's a really good foundation to lay. And then you can build on top of that with all the other books and all the other teachings that are out there about investing and real estate and all the other things. So I would say read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad's a great start. Um, And don't feel like you have to follow that same path that everyone else is following. That's a hard thing for a lot of people when you're young is you feel like, and this is what I exactly what I felt like, I feel like I had to do a certain thing. I'm going to, like I said, go to college, get a job, get married, have kids. And and that's great. There's a lot of benefits to that, but only do that path if that's what you really want and not because your parents told you you were supposed to or because you just assume that's what you're supposed to do. Really take some time to reflect, get to know yourself, get to know your strengths, get to know your weaknesses. That's a hard thing for people when you're younger is to recognize what your weaknesses are and be okay with that because everyone's got weaknesses Um, but your strengths, your combination of strengths might be unique. So leverage those, you know, as you get, uh, into your professions, into your career, um, leverage those to find your unique path and don't feel like you have to follow some preset path. Um, and it's, I was just thinking about this. There's a, there's a quote that I'd heard. Um, I was reading, uh, Grant Sabatier's, he wrote, um, financial freedom, and he was talking about how money is actually an infinite resource but your time is not, 
we're all going to pass on at some point. And so don't waste your time um, just kind of sitting around waiting for something good to happen. Take advantage of the time you have. And the money's out there to be made. You can figure out ways to do it. There's a million different things you can do. Uh, but but your amount of time that you have on this earth is finite and make the most of it while you're here. Absolutely, Ben. That was an excellent response to my question. I'd like to further add on to that, that once you can develop a psyche for what is enough for you, that day you have received financial freedom. So I was listening to a story about a juice vendor, wherein the juice vendor used to sell two types of juice, one of sugarcane and one of neem. When a normal customer used to go and ask for a sugarcane juice, he used to charge somewhere around 20 bucks. But when someone goes and asks that, okay, I need neem juice, he never used to charge any price for it. And people used to get started as to why is that so? So the reason he told was that sugarcane is something that he buys and then he sells. And one, whatever money he makes out of that, he is able to survive and sustain and he's satisfied with it. But neem is something that he directly plucks out from the trees and he does not pay any money to acquire that neem. So he sells it for free. So that is, so the story literally gives us a learning that once you know that there is a source of income that you can earn through, that is there is an extra source of income that you can exercise, but you do not, you do not exercise that extra source of income, that day you have reached financial freedom. But for that, you need to be mentally satisfied and you need to know what is your enough because life has got more to it than just money. Yeah, that's a great story. And it's a, it's a great perspective to have on that. I think um, yeah, you don't know what you're going to want maybe in five or 10 or 30 years. So I think it's great to set goals and work towards something. Um, but it's not about hitting a financial goal. It's it's there still is at some point, how are you interacting with people? Are you being kind? Are you connecting with others? Are you happy along the way? And so there's always that balance of, you know, work towards the end goal. But um, you don't know if you're ever going to get there. So you, you want to make sure that on the way you're you're happy with what you're doing as well. Definitely, Ben. Like being happy on the journey is much more important because we're not working towards getting to an end, but we are living life each and every single day. So therefore, you need to keep a check on your happiness every single day. So yeah, Ben, I really enjoyed the conversation that we had today. And I think you shared very good insights with us. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing all your ideas and thoughts. And I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for being part of this podcast, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad you asked me to be on. Um, it was a great conversation, some really good stuff. Um, and if anyone wants to um, follow any of my information, you can get to me. Um, my website's phiafter40.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's at phiafter40. So definitely reach out to me. Um, I've got the podcast as well. So um, Harsh, I'd love to have you on at some point too. I think there's a lot for us to talk about. So, um, so yeah, this is a great conversation. I'm glad I jumped on. Thanks so much. So that was Ben from Fire After 40. I really enjoyed the conversation and he shared some really good insights with us. Thank you so much for tuning into RDHM Finance Podcast and listening to conversations between me and fellow guests. I hope you can use this information and implement in your real life to make it a bit better. So have a nice day and let's work towards building a debt-free community.